Whoa, that is some crazy music. If you weren't awake, you're awake during that sermon bumper. Hey guys, so glad that you are here today. Again, I know I said it earlier, but I realized it is a holiday weekend. I realized that you had some time and you could have been away and you are here. And so I am, uh, I'm understanding of that, really appreciative that you are here. We're excited for what we believe God's going to do and speak to us today. Uh, we started a brand new sermon series last week called Transformed, and uh, in this sermon series, it is all about how whenever we give our heart to Jesus, whenever we believe on Jesus, all of who we are can be transformed. We can be made new because of Jesus and what he's done for us and who he is, and, and so we're talking about that, but we're looking at it through the book of Philemon. Through the book of Philemon, I told you last week, it's one chapter. It's, it's very, very short. It's actually the shortest writing that is recorded of the Apostle Paul. And so it's just 25 verses, but it's powerful. It's really powerful. Now, there's three main people you need to know. If, if you were here last week, this is review. If you weren't here, this is need-to-know information. The first is, of course, the Apostle Paul. He is in the latter stages of his life, in the latter stages of his ministry. He's in a prison in Rome, and he writes this letter. Now, he writes the letter to Philemon. Philemon, of course, he's an important person to know because he's the one the book is named after. And uh, so that just makes sense. Philemon is wealthy. Philemon uh, owned slaves. He came to the Lord uh, under Paul's ministry. He was, he was saved. He was transformed. And now the church is meeting in his home. And, and so there's a lot about Philemon that we learn from this letter. And then that leaves the third person, the, the subject of the letter, and that is Onesimus. Onesimus. Onesimus is a slave. He was Philemon's slave. He ran away. He stole something from Philemon. We don't know what. It may have been money. It may have been something else. But he stole. He goes on the run. And then Onesimus finds himself in a Roman prison. He finds himself face to face with Paul. Paul tells him about Jesus, and Onesimus's life is transformed. Onesimus becomes a believer. He's a follower of Jesus now, but he knows he needs to face up to what he's done. And so he says, I've got to go back and make things right with Philemon. But Paul, would you write me a letter? And so Paul writes this letter. So, so those are the three main people to know we're talking about life change. And let me tell you what happened last Sunday. Go ahead and get ready to clap. Go ahead and get ready to hoop and holler. Because last Sunday, here at our church, we saw two people give their life to Jesus. Can we just give it up? <clears throat> so thankful for that life change. So thankful for those people who've taken their first step with Jesus. And I got to tell you guys, that's what we're all about. We said it in the video announcements. We want to help people take that first step, and then we want to help each and every one of us because we all have a next step. And so what's our next step with Jesus? How can we take that? And so we want to celebrate whenever people do, in fact, take that next step. So we're talking about the book of Philemon, and, and I, I, an analogy came to my head this week, and that is, the book of Philemon is kind of like old school TV. 
old school TV, back before you could go watch old episodes on uh, online or on you know Hulu or whatever it was. If you found out, and back before the days of satellite, when you could pause TV or you could know that a show's coming up and you can record that. Me and my wife still have bunny ears, and so I'm a little bit jealous of all of you that can pause your live TV. A little bit jealous, but I'm going to hold that in. And so back in the day, when you found out there was a show you wanted to watch, let's say it came on Thursday at 8, what did you have to do? You had to be home Thursday at 8. You had to be on the couch, TV on, dialed in, because if you missed it, you missed it. See, Kids today, they don't know anything about that. My son, we were watching live TV yesterday. He thinks everything's Netflix. He said, Daddy, I need to go to the bathroom. Pause that. Said, man, this is live TV. We can't pause it. "Ah," You know, he loses his mind. He just doesn't understand. But back in the day with old school TV, if you wanted to see it, you had to be there. And invariably, what would happen? You'd get caught up at the office or you'd be running late or you didn't get home. on Something would happen and you would miss the first few minutes of your show. And then you calm down everybody in the house. You calm down all the commotion. Be quiet. Just leave me alone for the next hour. I want to watch. It's my show. I don't ask for anything else. But this week, Thursday at 8, you know, just be quiet until 9. And so you would put on the show. And then again, invariably, what would happen? There would come a call or a knock on the door or a kid would throw up or whatever. I mean, just any number of things. And so you would miss the first 15 minutes and then you'd miss the last 15 minutes. And so you're stuck. You've got about 30 minutes worth of information from your show and you're trying to piece together. I wonder what happened in the beginning. I wonder what happened at the end. You're trying to figure it out with old school TV. Well, in the same way with this letter, today I'm talking to you on the subject of perspective. See, we don't have the whole perspective. We're we're not blessed to have all the details. We've just got the middle. We don't really know what Onesimus stole. We don't really know what happened before he wound up in a Roman jail. We just have bits and pieces and we're trying to piece it together. Then Paul writes the letter. We know Onesimus is headed back Philemon's way. But we don't really know what happens in the end either. We don't know if if Philemon receives uh, Onesimus back or if he punishes him. We don't really know. And so we're going to look at what we've got and go with what we have. The other thing as it relates to perspective is understanding that Paul and Philemon are not together in their thinking on this. Paul uh, thinks of Onesimus one way. Philemon thinks of Onesimus another way. and, And they're not together in that thinking. And both of them, when they think of this guy called Onesimus, both of them have a lot of emotions tied up in that. For Philemon, it's, that dirty dog scoundrel. He stole, he ran away, he know he didn't do right. He better not show his face around here. And then for Paul, he's seen him give his life to Christ. He's seen the conversion process. He's had conversations since then. And so he is team Onesimus for sure. And so they're not together on their thinking. 
Here's what I've discovered. Two people can look at the same thing and see something completely different. Isn't that right? Two people can look at the same thing and see something completely different. That's why we have the whole glass half empty versus glass half full argument, isn't it? There's a glass. It's on the table. Half of it has liquid in it. The other half does not. We all look at that. And do you see the glass as being half full? Or do you see the glass as being half empty? Let's do a poll real quick. Where are my glass half full people? If that's you, let me see your hands. Glass half full. Yeah, my optimist. The sun is shining. You woke up on the right side of the bed. Good job. All right. Where are my glass half empty people? Yeah, there, oh yeah, I'm seeing some hands go up. A couple of you, you were deciding if you were even going to participate in this little game because you're such a pessimist. How do you see things? How do you see it? You can experience in a lot of cases the same thing. I found a picture that I thought uh, showed this really well. So much of our happiness depends on how we choose to look at the world. Isn't it amazing? This guy right here, he's happy because he's looking at the scenery. He's taking it all in. This guy, all he can see is the dark rock. All he can see is the problem. His glass is half empty for sure. But you know what's amazing? Same bus. Same bus. It is, it's amazing to me that there are people, even the things I complain about, it's good for me to occasionally stop and say, you know what? There are people that if they had a similar situation, if, were, if they were walking in my shoes, they would be talking about how blessed they are. God, forgive me for, for looking down on the blessings you've given me. God, help me to have the right perspective. So I found this little letter, too. I just wanted to share it with you. It's about perspective. Here it goes. Dear mom and dad, just a quick note to tell you how excited I am about the semester break coming up. I also figured since I was writing, I'd share some good news from this semester. First, it turns out I am not pregnant. And my boyfriend's not a felon after all. It was just a misdemeanor. The dorm fire was big, but everyone got out alive. And I found a great off-campus apartment My new roommates are Todd, Jack, and Mike. They're all great guys. I can't wait to see you and spend Christmas together. Signed, your loving daughter. P.S. There was never any question that I was pregnant. I don't have a boyfriend and there was no dorm fire nor off-campus apartment. I wanted to let you know that I got a C in my history class and I wanted you to put that news in perspective. Last year in FCA, I was talking with a guy and he was telling me about how he had like an eight page paper due at midnight that night. Now, mind you, I tend to be, I like to think of myself as an optimist, but I also know that I am a worrier. And so I try to be ahead on some things. And and so I immediately had anxiety for him. It's eight o'clock. This paper is due in a few hours, and it is not submitted. And here was the little pearl of wisdom he dropped on me that day. Pastor Andrew, don't worry. C's get degrees. 
There is, there is no need to overexert myself. Now, all of you students who are in the room, that is bad, horrible. Don't you tell your parents. I said that. We're talking about perspective. Talking about perspective. Here's, here's another thing I know, and that is having a perspective and changing a perspective are two, things, two different things entirely. Did you catch the difference there? Having a perspective and changing that perspective are two incredibly different things. Several years ago, I think, I think it was about five years ago now. I'm not entirely sure. It may have been longer than that. But we did a sermon series here at the church, and we called it 30 Days to Live. And guys, I'm telling you, that sermon series, more than any really other sermon series I can think of, is still talking about. It is still discussed. People still go and watch those videos. Occasionally, we get requests at the church for those notes. Why? Because that whole series, the, the whole idea behind that sermon series was a perspective shift. That sermon series was a perspective shifter. For so many of us, we have a to-do list. There are things you are thinking about right now. When I get out of church today, I got to remember to go by the grocery store and get the dog food. Tomorrow I'm off, but I got to get the steaks tonight to cook. And I got to do this and that. It is amazing how many of those things that are so important, that are so, oh man, I got to get that done before I lay my head on my pillow tonight. I've got to get that to-do list done. It's amazing how many of those things, if we found out we had 30 days to live, those things wouldn't even be on our list. Our perspective would shift so dramatically. And, and how many of those really important things in life do we not have on our to-do list or are we not being intentional about because we're so busy doing other things? And so... That sermon series was a perspective shifter. Well, in the same way, Paul writes Philemon and he says, Hey, I want you to consider changing your perspective on Onesimus. And he writes this, verses 15 and 16. Verses 15 and 16, he says this, Perhaps the reason he was separated from you for a little while was that you might have him back forever. No longer as a slave, but better than a slave, as a dear brother. He is very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. I want to start looking at this by, by looking at verse 15. What does that first word say? Perhaps. Perhaps. Hey, hey Philemon, perhaps, just, just maybe, perhaps... There's another way to look at this. I know, I know you are zoomed in. I know you have a perspective. But maybe, perhaps, if you were to widen your frame a little bit, if you were to see some other stuff going on, maybe you could see it too that there is a bigger reason, could be, for what happened. So Paul says, perhaps. 
Now, I encouraged you last week, I think you should do a study on the book of Philemon. I hope you're doing that. If you're not, I want to encourage you again, go and read that book. It's only one chapter. It's only 25 verses. But here's the deal. As you read that book, if, if you go along and there's some words and you're like, I, I don't know why these words, I don't know why Paul chose these words then go back and begin to ask questions. Go back and study. Because every word in this book is so carefully chosen. I mean, Paul, he's so intentional with it. Let me give you an example. Verse 1, Paul says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. That's how he introduces himself. Well, in most of Paul's writings, he doesn't start out that way. In most of Paul's writings, he starts out like this. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus. An apostle. So it's, it's, a, it's a slight shift, but it gives you a whole different result. The reason why Paul starts with, in most of his letters, Paul, an apostle, is because he's, he's starting from a place of authority. Hey, Jesus transformed me. God has given me some authority. And you need to listen. Well, in this particular book, Paul starts out and he says, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, because he's trying to be persuasive. And he's trying to engender some sympathy right off the bat. Hey, Philemon, don't forget where I'm at. Don't forget I'm suffering for Jesus. So, so he starts it out with, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus. And again, he's saying, hey, perhaps there is a bigger reason why this happened. Perhaps there's a bigger plan. And so that brings me to, to, to point number one. The first perspective shift that Paul is asking Philemon to make is this. God didn't cause this, but he can use it. Hey, hey Philemon, perhaps God didn't cause this, but he can use it if you'll let him. Hear me, church. God does not bring evil and pain and turmoil in your life. It's not who he is. It's not what he does. God is not the author of evil in your life or in this world. It goes against his character. It's not what he does. Let me give you a couple verses. Don't just believe it because I said it. Here's a couple verses, though. James 1.13 says this, God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. That last little part, so important. God doesn't tempt anyone. That, that would mean that God had multiple personalities, wouldn't it? If he, if he would tempt people, God's got a plan for your life, but he also tries to sabotage that plan. God wants you to succeed. He loves you, but yet he's also trying to bring you off of that plan and hurt you and no, God doesn't tempt anyone. He's not the author of evil. 1 John 1, 5 says this, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. There's no darkness. There is not a closet that God has with some skeletons in it from his past. There is not any shadow of turning in him. There is not a corner where he has some evil thoughts or evil deeds. In him there is no darkness at all. 1 Corinthians 14, 33. Next verse, it says, God is not the author of confusion. Again, 
God wants good things for you. God wants you to live out your purpose, to fulfill your destiny in this world. God wants you to live on plan and on purpose. God wants you to honor him with your life. So God's not going to bring in confusion. It's not who he is. It's not what he does. But yet, okay, Pastor Andrew, I hear you. God doesn't bring evil. Well, then bad things happen. Where do they come from? couple different answers I could give you. The first is Satan. Satan. Now, I know we don't like to talk about him. We don't even like to think about the fact he exists. But Scripture tells us that he is a decided fact. That we have an adversary who prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. He is a decided fact. And he is in this world and he works against us. And his job is to lie. He is the accuser of the brethren. He wants nothing more than to tempt you and bring you away from God's purpose for your life. So Satan. Another way that bad things happen is us. It's our flesh. Scripture tells us that there is this battle going on within us. Spirit versus flesh. Spirit versus flesh. Good versus evil. God versus carnality. And, and so there's, there's this battle going on within us. You know what's, what I really think? I, I think we give the devil too much credit. I think we attribute everything to him. Oh, anything bad happened. That was the devil. Oh, that old devil. He's at it again. No, it's just you're making some dumb decisions. You read the Bible and then you did exactly what it said don't do. Here's the truth of the matter. When we reap, when we sow a bad harvest, we're gonna, when we sow a bad seed, we're going to reap a bad harvest. When we sow iniquity, we're going to reap carnality. Sowing and reaping, it is true in farming. It is true in, in our money. And that's often where we talk about it and think about it. But it's true with everything in our life. And so what are we sowing? What are we sowing? Are we sowing to the flesh? Because if we are, we're going to reap from the flesh. Romans 6.23 tells us this. For the wages of sin is death. When you work at something, there is a natural. It's cause and effect. When I work, I get paid. When I sow to the flesh, I reap carnality. It's just, it's what happened. Bad things happen. Romans 5.12 tells us this. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, who was that one man? This is not a trick question, I promise you. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, who's the one man? Adam. Adam. Now, Adam was with Eve, but it was Adam and Eve. They sinned, and so when they did, death entered through sin. And in this way, death came to all people because all sin. When they introduced sin into the world, that introduced death. And so now you and I and our children and our grandparents, everybody that has ever lived since Adam and Eve, we live in a sin-cursed world. And so bad things just happen. It's not a perfect place. But again, here's what I know. God didn't cause it. God may not have caused that bad thing to happen in your life. 
but God can use it. If we will submit it to him, God will use it. I love what Rick Warren says. Rick Warren, pastor Saddleback Church in California. And he says that God never wastes a bad experience. That when we go through something heart-wrenching, when we go through something painful, when something bad happens in our life, if we will learn from that, if we will grow from that, God will not waste that bad experience. I've seen this personally. I've seen parents whose children have become addicted to drugs. And those parents, instead of, of just writing that kid off, they became that child's advocate. And, and they became an advocate for other addicts who were suffering. They gave their life to helping people who were addicted to drugs. They gave their life to helping other parents cope whose teenagers became addicted to drugs. Because oftentimes, our, our darkest days provide our greatest platforms. Does that make sense? The, the deepest pains in our life provide us more of an opportunity to minister than anything else. I'll tell you a personal story. Nicole and I, when we were pregnant with our first son, uh, and many of you know Mason, he's four. But before Mason, we were pregnant. Uh, with another little guy, and we had named him Jordan, and he made it to 40 weeks. She was 40 weeks pregnant. That, that is completely full term. There, you could go in and get a baby. I mean, really, you could deliver a baby even earlier than that, and everything would be completely fine. But this was our first child, and so the doctor said, let's just wait and see if this little guy comes naturally. And we went home, and that was on a Wednesday or Thursday. And then by that next Tuesday, we went in, and Nicole was saying, I, I don't feel him. This is so weird. We, we need to go see the doctor. And I will never forget what that doctor told us in that office that day. Uh, Mr. Price, we don't see any cardiac activity. Again, bear in mind, it's 40 weeks. We've got the car seat in the car because it could happen at any moment. The hospital bags are packed. The nursery's ready. Everything's done. The name's picked out. You got to look again. What do you mean there's no cardiac activity? They looked again and they said, I'm sorry, Mr. Price. He's gone. I got to tell you, that is the hardest thing Nicole and I have ever been through in our whole lives. Walking through that time and asking those questions. God, what are you doing? Why in the world? We would have been a loving home. We would have, we would have given anything we could for this kid. God, why? And there were a lot of people who reached out to us during that time. A lot of people from the bridge, a lot of pastors and people who just love us. And we were overwhelmed, flooded with good wishes and goodwill. And, but the people who meant the most to us during that time were people who had gone through that same situation. People who said, 
I don't know exactly what you're feeling, but I've been there too. And if you need somebody to talk to, if you need a shoulder to cry on, they ministered to us in a way that nobody else could in that moment. Since then, Nicole and I have had the opportunity to to turn that favor around and to do that for other people. Why? Because our darkest days provide our greatest platform for ministry. Our greatest platform to be able to serve people and love people. And during that time, we found this verse to be true. Romans 8, 28. And we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love Him. In all things. Even when my kid was stillborn at 40 weeks, in all things. I don't know what you're going through. You may not be ready to say this yet, but I promise you unequivocally, it is absolutely true that in all things, if we will submit those things to God, God is working for our good and God didn't cause it, but he can use it. Hear me now, this verse, it doesn't say it may not be good, but God can work it for good. It may not be good, but God can work it for good. Powerful example of this happened just recently. There's a a family in our church, um, Craig and Amanda Ladd. Craig, who is our media team leader. Amanda, who is over our nurseries here. They were at Duke Hospital. Their precious little girl, their four-year-old baby, Kristen, She was diagnosed a little while back with atrial septal defect. And the doctors told her, we're going to need to do open heart surgery. She's four now. She went in and there were a group of us from the church. We went and prayed for Kristen and and praise God. The whole procedure, everything went so well. And in the days following, I went back up just to be with the family and, and, and check on them, see if there was anything they needed. And I get there, and this is, they've been moved out of the ICU now, and they are in this room with this other patient. You've seen this in movies. I've never seen this in real life. They are in a room with another patient. They have their precious four-year-old little girl who's just had open heart surgery They had every right to be frustrated. They had every right to be self-centered and mad and ticked off and saying, God, why me? And God, what are you doing? And I'm serving you with my life and I'm giving you the best I can. And God, what's all this about? But something happened that day in that hospital room that I will never forget. I went in to pray with that family for the recovery of Kristen. And they said, Pastor Andrew, we we absolutely want to pray for that. But we just met we just met this other little guy and uh, unless God shows up in a miraculous way he's never going to know life without being hooked to a machine. And and so Pastor Andrew, can we pray for, for that family? Because The doctors told us all likelihood, we're good to go. We're going to be out of here soon and the recovery looks good. The operation went good. But Pastor Andrew, we got to pray for that little guy down the hall. 
It's been about two weeks since then. And I can't get over that. That perspective that, that you could have your own child and, and just incredibly mature. You could have your own four-year-old child there who has just come out of major surgery and your heart could be, we got to lift up this other kid. So guys, let me ask you. You know I love questions. How's your perspective? How's your perspective? How's your perspective? Because for a lot of us, we're on that same bus. Things that are happening to us happen to other people. The question is, how do we choose to look at it? How do we choose to look at it? Here's what I know. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. So just real quickly, let me give you some warning signs of a bad perspective. Maybe you see yourself in this. Hopefully you don't. But if you do, I want to encourage you, research further. Ask a friend. Ask a trusted friend. Is this me? Really, really and truly, you got to tell me, how's my perspective? Here's warning signs of a bad perspective. You feel like nothing seems to go right and you wonder why bad things always happen to you. You see success as something that only happens to others. You're afraid to take action because you fear failure. You have excuses for everything that's wrong in your life. And then another warning sign is you believe you are the victim of your circumstances. You can take a picture of that. You can email me. I'll send you that. But ask yourself, how's your perspective? So important. So important. Let me give you the second perspective shift that, that Paul asks Philemon to make. First one is God didn't cause it, but he can use it. The second one is people can change. People can change. Several years ago, I was watching an episode of Dr. Phil. Got to be honest with you, I'm a little embarrassed to admit that. <laughs> but I also need you to know, as you go to tell this story later, that I had no choice in the matter. I was in a waiting room, and it was the only thing on. And this was before the days of unlimited cell phone data. So I was watching Dr. Phil... And he said something that was so just poignant. I don't think I'll ever forget it. He said the greatest single indicator of future behavior is past behavior. That's absolutely true. You want to know how someone is most likely to act in the future? Look at how they've acted in the past. The greatest single indicator of future behavior is past behavior. But guys and girls, listen to me. It's an indicator. It's just an indicator. You are not a slave to who you've always been. You don't have to act like that because you used to act like that. You don't have to be that kind of person because you've been that kind of person. People can change. That's the whole reason we're doing this sermon series called Transformed. is because I believe that through the power of Jesus, you can be changed. So let's look at verse 16. Paul's just said, 
that you might have him back forever. Verse 16, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother. He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a fellow man and as a brother in the Lord. Hey, hey, Philemon, I'm asking you, just so we, we're clear on this, I'm asking you when he, Onesimus comes back to you, don't kill him. Don't brand him. But he keeps going. He, he takes it a step further. He ratchets it up even more. He says, I'm asking you not to even punish him. And, and since I have been so bold up until now, I'm asking you not to even restore him back to his slavely duties. I'm asking you that you would consider him an equal. Consider him a brother. Now we hear that and we think, oh yeah, he's been transformed. But imagine if you were on the receiving end of this letter. You want me to do what? I mean, do you want me to give him half my house, half my bank account? Is there anything else I can do for this guy? This is a bold request. Would you, cons- would you take him back? Not as a slave, but better than a slave. Hey, Philemon, people change. And this guy's changed. And I'm asking you to see him now like you see me. See him as a If, if you'll allow me a little bit of creative pastoral license here, I, I think the reason why Paul says this is because Paul remembers his transformation. He, he remembers his conversion. Back in Acts chapter 9, go, go and read that this afternoon. Before Paul was Paul starting new churches, writing most of the New Testament, before Paul was doing that, Paul was Saul. And Saul, the way Acts chapter 9 starts out is, it says he was breathing out murderous threats against the church. Saul was actively against Christians and churches. He was trying to lock them up. He was trying to stop them dead in their tracks. Saul was working against followers of Jesus. But in Acts chapter 9, he's going from Jerusalem to Damascus, and he has what we call the Damascus Road experience. You might hear people in church talk about how much your life has changed, and they'll say, boy, you've had a Damascus Road experience. You didn't know what they were talking about, so you said your mama. You didn't know. Talking about Saul. They're talking about what happened in Acts chapter 9. Saul's life was changed because he met Jesus. Saul knows, I got to do something about it. So he starts preaching. He feels called into ministry. He's going to give his life to that. But the problem is the church leaders, they won't meet with him. They won't even give him the time of day because they're thinking, this guy was just trying to murder us. No way. He's trying to figure out the hierarchy. He's trying to get in, build our trust, and he's going to turn on. But there was this guy. There was this guy named Barnabas. And Barnabas listened to Saul preach, and he was convinced that Saul had been transformed. And Saul, excuse me, Barnabas knows the church leaders, and so he brings these two sides together. 
And because of what Barnabas did, Saul is able to go on and have the ministry that we know of with the blessing and with the help of those church leaders because there was a guy named Barnabas who brought them together. And now, here we are decades later, Paul is sitting in this prison cell in Rome and he sees this young guy who just like him has had a dramatic conversion experience. And I think Paul says to himself, I got to help that kid. That kid reminds me of me. And I needed a Barnabas to vouch for me. So I'm going to put it all on the line and I'm going to vouch for this kid. I'm going to vouch for Odysseus because I know Philemon and maybe if I write a letter, it'll help. So that's what this is about. That's what he does. That's what he does. I'm closing. Let me, let me ask you this in closing. Have you been transformed? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? If you don't, we're going to pray and dismiss. And then at the front, there are going to be people who will pray with you. We will help you as you start that relationship. Maybe you're considering doing that. Or maybe you're one of the ones who gave their heart to Jesus last week. There is a free book at the guest services desk. We just want to put it in your hand. We're not going to charge you for it. We just want to help you as you get that journey started. And then for the rest of us, if we would say, yes, my life has been transformed, my question is, are we telling other people about the reason for our hope, about the reason for our change? We get a diet pill that works good, we'll tell everybody. Jesus changes our whole life. Will you tell other people what he's done for us? Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, thank you because I believe today for me and for many others, we have experienced a perspective shift. I pray that that's how we leave here. We leave here closer to you, having taken a next step that we would never be the same. Understanding that there may be bad things that come to us, but it was not you who caused it, but you can use it. God, I also know that people can change. And so, Lord, I'm not, I, I don't believe you've called us to be doormats, but I do believe you've called us to give people a chance and a second chance and to believe in people. And that is so hard. God, I pray now that you would speak to our hearts, that you would grant us wisdom and discernment as we try to live this message out and live out this transformation that you've done in us. Thank you, God, for being here with us today. Thank you for speaking to us. I pray for us all now as we go to go in the grace and peace of Jesus. In your precious name we pray, amen.